So we've been in this sermon series, enough on my stuff, um, for one week. And last week we learned that God, it's not true that God said that all He wants is you to be happy. It's just not the truth. Um, some people may say it's the truth, but that's not the truth. And the reason that this sermon series is so important is because, here's why. There have been many good people that have walked into churches like Faith Church. And people have made comments to them, like, for instance, um, and, and I don't know of any personal examples, but I know it happens in churches. For instance, somebody's going through a bad time, so somebody with a God-fearing heart and, they, and all the love in the world, they say to them, oh, it's true, God just wants you to be happy. Now that person continues to go through a hard time for the next three months, and guess what they think about that whole time? is that person who came up to him and said, God just wants you to be happy. And so if, he's, if they're not happy, now all of a sudden something's wrong with God. And so they walk out this door over here to my side or that door and they never come back to church. Because someone quoted God that was misquoting God. They said, God just wants you to be happy and they're not happy. And so they, they think that God has failed them. And they, they walk out and they never come back to the church. And so I want us to be about truth-telling here at Faith Church. And today we're going to look at what may be one of the biggest misbeliefs about God. And I'm going to walk you into it with a little introduction, then I'll tell you what it is. My pastor used to always say something like this that I really didn't like, but I think it was really true. He would always say that chances are pretty good that you're either doing, you're either going, you're either about to go into a difficult season in your life, or you're in the middle of a difficult season in your life, or you are just now coming out of a difficult season for your life. It's not a very encouraging message, but Pastor Dick used to say it all the time from the pulpit at St. David's. But how many of you would say that kind of seems like it's a pretty close to the truth? I mean, it feels like every time you turn around, either for you or for somebody you love that's close to you, life can get kind of complicated rather quickly. Whenever that happens to me, it seems like whenever life starts spiraling down. It's amazing how fast it seems like there's more than we could handle. Some of you right now, you're going through a lot. It could be a financial struggle, a burden. It could be that you got a bad report from the doctor for you or someone you love. It would be like relationships are blowing up. It could be that relationships are blowing up. Maybe your job's not as stable as it once was. It could be you're battling with depression. Any number of different things. Then the weight just gets heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier. And finally you think, I just can't take any more of this. It never fails. When you get to that place where you just feel like, I can't take any more, along comes some well-meaning Christian with really annoying Christian advice. Here's what they say. Oh, don't worry. Whatever God closes a door, He always opens a window. What does that mean? 
What kind of statement is that? I mean, I guess it's okay if you live in a house like Michelle and I, but if you're on the 12th floor, that could be dangerous. I mean, honestly, I mean, you know, you know, God closes the door on the 12th floor, but he opens a window. What's he telling me by opening this window on the 12th floor? It's annoying advice. But then it goes on. Or they say, well, remember, God helps those who help themselves. Okay, God never said that either. But that's a whole nother sermon series and a whole nother subject. And what I want to deal with today is what they say when they say, don't worry, don't worry. Hey, just don't worry about it. It's all going to be okay because remember, God will never give you more than you can handle. We need to embrace the reality that God never said that can't find it in scripture in fact the truth is often the opposite of that misbelief that's what's so struggling about saying that to someone because actually if you read the scriptures and we're going to dive into them and you're going to see I'll, i'll show it to you this morning i hope you go deeper than what i'm doing this morning when you get home but i will tell you right now the actual truth of the matter is is that it's the opposite of that he seems to give us more than we can ever handle on our own And he challenges us to grow in that and to become a part of that. And the Bible says God will never give you, does not say God will never give you anything more than you can handle. I believe this belief system comes from a misunderstanding. And here's where the misunderstanding is. It's on your purple sheet in your bulletin. And here it is. It's in 1 Corinthians 10.13. It says, God is faithful. He will let you, he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can hear. Or bear, excuse me. But when you are tempted, you will also provide a way out. Let me explain something to you. Let's look at the wording of this scripture passage. Corinth was a bad, bad place. The Corinth or Corinthian church can be best explained, best described as the church that gone that has gone wild. They come up to the communion table instead of taking communion like they should. What they do is they grab as much bread and as much wine as they can, and they get drunk on the elements. The women are wearing things that just bring attention to them instead of bringing attention to Jesus, and so that's a problem in the church in the Corinth. There's so much going on in the church of Corinth that I can't even list it all going on. But Paul is talking to the church of Corinth here and he says, listen, when you are tempted, God will give you a way out. does not say. When you are burdened, God will relieve that burden. But that's what some preachers and some well-meaning Christians say it says. doesn't say it. The word tempted in the Greek is tempted. It gives no indication of burden relief. It gives an indication of if I'm in a situation where I'm tempted to do something I shouldn't do, God always gives me an exit plan. He doesn't say, now you're tempted, now you you fight for yourself. You make your own exit plan. I'm going to just give you the temptation. I'm going to throw the temptation in front of you, and you got to do whatever you got to do. 
So when Paul is talking to the Corinthian church here, he's saying, listen, if you are tempted, he will get you, give you a way out. He won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but it never says he won't give you more than what you can handle. In fact, when you just survey the entirety of the Bible, you will see story after story of people who had more than they can handle. And here's a few of them. First of all, Gideon. Here's Gideon, good old Gideon and Judges. God calls Gideon and he says, listen, I got big plans for you. You know what Gideon says in return? It's there on the screen. It's also on your sermon outline. I'm the weakest in my clan, God. I'm the least in the family. God, I don't have what it takes or to do what you want me to do. Gideon felt like God gave him more than he could ever handle. And instead of saying, well, that can't be God because God would never give me more than He can handle, he fights through it and he does things for the Lord. And then we have Moses, who now I'm... And Moses says in Exodus, look, God, I know you want me to lead your people. I know you want me to do all these things. And I just don't feel like I'm qualified. I feel like it's more than I can handle because I'm slow of speech. I'm not a good speaker. I'm not a good leader. These people are wearing me out. I can't do it all. And I don't have what it takes. Now I can only imagine an Israelite coming up to Moses and putting his arm around him and saying, don't worry Moses. God will never give you more than you can handle. Try leading a nation of people that one minute get it and the next minute tell God to go elsewhere. Try leading a nation of people that one minute say they're going to follow God with all their heart, soul, and mind, and the next minute they're in a jam and they're yelling at their leader to get them out of the jam because they can't follow God in this jam. And you will experience what Moses experiences in the book of Exodus. Then we go on to King David. King David, my guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. I'm exhausted and completely crushed. My groans come from an anguished heart. That's all Psalm 38 verses 4 and 8. And what's going on in David's heart and life? Here's a guy who God calls a man after my own heart. A man after my own heart. And what has he done? Going back to the Corinthian passage, he's fallen to temptation because God gave him a way out, but he chose not to use the way out. So he saw a beautiful woman while she was bathing. He calls for that beautiful woman who's not his wife. He sleeps with that beautiful woman. Long story short, he gets her pregnant. She's now pregnant. Now he tries to kill off her husband. Long story short again, he, he, does, he does do that. And all this stuff is going on. And then this good old friend of his, Jonathan, comes walking into his life and says, Listen, David, you've messed up royally. And he's the king of the people. He's a man after God's own heart. And he has a woman pregnant that's not his wife. And he looks around and there's no friends to be found other than Jonathan. And he loses the baby to that woman. And he stands there in that guilt. And he writes these words. 
And I can only imagine if one of his buddies, Jonathan, came up to him and said, don't worry, David. God will never give you more than you can handle. I've messed everything up. Are you kidding me? Would be David's response. I'm going to tell you, when God taps a 37 or 38-year-old and says, I want you to, on the shoulder, and wants you to move and get away from what's uncomfortable and, quote, easy. I want you to move to a place that you have never heard of and take on a church that has had its fair share of struggles, but that I'm not done using and still have plenty of people to reach for Jesus. And bring them together to do kingdom work, even when they face storms in their own lives. it can feel a little overwhelming. And not 10 years before that, he tapped that same person at 27 to 28 years of old on the shoulder and said, I want you to leave the only town you know, Dover, Pennsylvania. I want you to go to some place called Williams Township that's just outside of New Jersey. And I want you to serve people who have had a pastor that has been there for 36 years. I want you to follow them when your first church assignment. I want you to follow a 36-year-old pastorate, 36-year pastorate on your first church assignment. I got to tell you, sitting in my office in Dover, Pennsylvania, I wanted to say, God, didn't you tell me you were not going to give me more than I can handle? Look, it's one thing to serve after somebody who's been here for seven years. When people get used to somebody for 36 years, oh, it's a whole nother ball game. Same way of preaching, same way of leading worship, same way of doing everything. And all of a sudden your wife is compared to the last wife. You are compared to the last pastor and it is a living hell. Can't put it any other way. For the first five years. You are fighting, you are slapping your head against cinder blocks because you're saying to yourself, what did I get myself into? I've been there. And there were people that called me on the phone from my former church. said, don't worry, Pastor Brett. God will never give you more than you can handle. And I wanted to tell him, <laughs> he's getting awful close. And in fact, he has given me more than I can handle. Just when I think I'm alone, I remember even Jesus had that feeling. In Mark chapter 14, he says these words. It's on the screen. It's also on your sermon outline. Jesus began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Even Jesus felt overwhelmed to the point of death. 
We know the story. It's often, it's actually behind me here this morning. It's him in the garden. He's, he's facing death. And there he is, and he's, and he's praying. And, and, and blood, and our drops of sweat like blood are, are falling off of his face. And, and he's, he's intensely just fighting, fighting the fact that he knows what has to happen. He wants it to happen. He wants to pay the price. But he also says to the Father, look, God, if there's any other way you can get this done, Go ahead and do it that way. But it's your will, not mine. And he's intensely struggling. I can only imagine a disciple coming up to him and saying, don't worry, Jesus. The Father won't give you more than you can handle. Um, like in a few days, I'm going to be banged to a cross. People are going to spit on me and hit me with things. Please don't tell me that. And so here's the question that's begging to be answered. I'm not going to leave you hanging this morning. Why would God allow us, allow us to have more than we can handle? Why would a loving, a just, a powerful God allow us to have more than we can handle? I mean, Pastor, if you're going to tell us that He doesn't give us more than we can handle, then what you're saying is is that He does give us more than we can handle. So I'd just like to know why a God who you say is so loving, so caring, so powerful, so just, why would He allow us to have more than we can handle? I'm glad you asked. And I will answer right now. First reason, here it is. He wants us to teach us. He wants to teach us to depend on His presence. Because He wants to teach us to depend on His presence. For example, how many of you have noticed that when things start going really well, it's actually easy to forget about God? Come on, now, now let's not be all a bunch of pious religious people here this morning and say, no, that never happens to me, Pastor. You're alone on that boat. But you get on cloud nine, things start rolling together. You got the job you want. You got the, you got the life you want. You got everything put together and everything's looking great. And all of a sudden you start to say, devotions? Who needs devotions this morning? Who needs to pray this morning? I, oh, my life is going well. Thanks God for giving me the life you gave me. And then it starts to go like a tornado. Life starts getting rough. And all of a sudden, oh God, I need you. I can't do life without you. And I think it's funny, in a not so funny way, that God put this message in my sermon series, in our sermon series, on September the 11th, 2016. I don't know about what happened at Faith Church on September the 11th, 2001. Let me tell you what happened at St. David's EC Church in Dover. The next service, we had a record number of 400 people in both of our services. Two Sundays away, we had a record number of 300 people in both of our services. Third Sunday away, we had a record number of 250 people in both of our services. 
By the time October rolled around, we were back to our average attendance. Tell me it's not true. Tell me it's not true that when things are going great, we don't need God. But oh, when planes start flying into World Trade Centers, we need it. See, that's how I know it's true because I lived it. I watched it happen. And it happens today. And it may not planes, it may not be planes traveling into World Trade Centers. It may be a bad report from the doctor. It may be whatever it is, a tragedy in our lives. And all of a sudden, we need God then, and we be reminded of that. And you can see this reality of this in the Old Testament story of Jonah. If you know his story, basically God said, hey, go preach to the Ninevites. And the Ninevites were the worst of the worst. They were the bad sinners. You know, they, they, they were the people that, you know, Jonah was just too good to preach to. I mean, God, you don't really want me to go to the Ninevites, do you? And God wants to... I, I, I can only imagine... Sorry, I play with God's words in my head when I'm in my office, and I'm thinking to myself, well, if I was God, I would respond with, did I stutter, Jonah? Did I, did, I, did I hang up when I said, no, Ninevites? No, I said, go to the Ninevites. And so Jonah struggles with this whole thing and, and through an odd series of events he's thrown off his ship into the water and a giant fish swallows him up. We pick up in the story in Jonah chapter 2, verse 2 and verse 7 and here's what Jonah said. He said these words and I will get them for you in just a second. He said, In my distress... Yeah. Here we go. I got it. I got it. I got it. I'm not losing it here. Well, I did kind of. I called to the Lord and he answered me. And notice what Jonah said. Jonah didn't say, in my success. I called to the Lord, but in my distress. It's amazing how much more we crave God. Notice that we need him during our distress and often overlook him in our success. In my distress, I called to the Lord, he said. When my life was ebbing away, I remember you, Lord. Oh, my goodness, I remember God. Oh, I should run to God. I should call to God. I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you in my distress. I called on the Lord. Here's a challenge for some people. Is they get in the middle of the storm and they start to wonder about God. Let me just step here lightly. Life isn't going their way. Or at least the way they thought it should. I wish this weren't happening. I, why is this happening? If God were with me, this would not be happening. I don't understand why God is allowing this. I prayed for one thing and I'm getting the exact opposite. So God must not be with me. If God were good, this wouldn't be happening. If God were powerful, this wouldn't be happening. I don't believe God is with me. Somebody here needs to hear this quote. Never let the presence of a storm cause you to doubt the presence of God. Let me repeat myself. Never, ever, ever let the presence of a storm cause you to doubt the presence of God. 
Why would God allow you to experience more than you can handle? Why would our God allow you to experience uh, that all those things? Sometimes it's so that you'll be drawn to His presence, to remember His goodness, to lure you into calling on the name of the Lord. But next, sometimes it's to help you experience His supernatural power. Why would God allow you to experience more than you can handle? One is to teach you to depend on His his presence and number two it is to teach you to experience his power you see you catch yourself saying i can do this i can do this much more than i can handle but the reason you hang on with your own strength is you've been programmed to believe that god would never give you more than you can handle here's why it's important what we believe If you've been programmed, and maybe you have been, I grew up in the church for 30, or now 40 years. I was in the church before I was even born. And I've been programmed. My programmer says, God will never give me more than I can handle. Now picture this. So I'm called to faith church and I'm, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm, 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 I'm passionate about that, that God wants me to come to Temple PA and lead this congregation. And then I get here and I start to see people and things and not bad things, just things and overwhelming things. Now, if I'm trained and I'm taught and I have been for 40 years, God doesn't give you any more than you can handle. Then God must have made a mistake when he called me to faith church. That's what my brain wants to say. Because I've been trained God would never give me more than I can handle. But Faith Church, no offense, you are all great people, but we all have struggles. And when we're walking through those struggles, sometimes it feels like it's more than I can handle. And so if my brain says, like it's been taught through godly people for many years, well, God would never give me more than I can handle. Then what's the honest answer to that? Then God made a mistake when He called me to faith church. But that's not true. I don't believe that for the life of me. But yet my body and my mind wants to believe it because I've been told for all of my life, God will never give you more than you can handle. He has a lot of trust in me. But it's true. Because why would He give me more than I can handle? Because He wants to watch it happen and watch me say, God, I couldn't have done it. You had to do it. See, that's why when people come to me and they say, Pastor, I don't. I just don't know about being a part of this ministry or that ministry, and I feel a little overwhelmed about it. Sometimes I want to jump out of my shoes, and and you got to understand, I keep my shoes on for very good reasons. Um, they don't smell so good sometimes, but uh, I, I I want to jump out of my shoes, and this is what I want to say to you: Oh, you feel overwhelmed in your ministry. You feel like you might not be able to handle it on your own. Come on. Join the team. Because the person who comes up to me and says, I got this, man. 
There's no problems. I got it all under control. I can do this ministry with my eyes closed. See you later. Why? Because the person who says, I'm overwhelmed and I don't know where I'm going to turn and I don't know what I'm going to do, they're going to find Jesus. And Jesus is going to do something great through their ministry. The person who says, I'm so arrogant, I can't even put my nose down for two seconds to even look at you, Pastor. Well, that person, that person isn't going to find Jesus doing that. They're going to find themselves. And then when the tough gets going, you know what's going to happen? Oh, God let me down. No, He didn't. You let yourself down because you were so focused on yourself that you weren't focused on Christ. And so that's why I would, hey, don't ever use that excuse with me. You're not going to get very far. Well, I feel a little overwhelmed in this position. Great. That's right where you need to be. Praise the Lord. You're overwhelmed. But pastor, I might get burned out. I might. You won't get burned out if you're focused on God. You're focused on Jesus. You'll get, you will get burned out if you, if you get your focus all wrapped up in different things. And I do get burned out. And that's usually when God has to kind of gently remind me in my office, um, you work for somebody here. You're serving somebody here. You recognize that He didn't expect you to handle everything. Or He doesn't expect you to handle everything. That's when you experience His power. But until you recognize that, the Apostle Paul, he lived this. Like some of you might learn to live it. In Corinthians, he talked about a thorn in his flesh. And here's what he said. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in the weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions and difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Now listen, scholars have tried to figure out what this thorn in the flesh thing was that Paul talked about for years. We're not going to figure it out this morning, but I can tell you they've, they thought maybe he had epilepsy where he just fell over and started to have seizures. Maybe he had an eye problem. Whatever it might have been, it was obviously a thorn in his flesh. And what Paul felt deeply about was this. Paul felt very deeply that this was holding him back from ministry. He couldn't read properly. He couldn't do something properly. So it was holding him back from ministry. What does God say? It's God's words here. It's actually Jesus kind of in some of your Bibles. It'll be in red letter. It says, he says back, listen, my grace is sufficient for you. I've given you all you need to succeed. And in your weakness... When you feel so inadequate, I will use you to do great things. But when you feel so adequate, and I got this, I can handle this, I won't be able to use you. And then Paul starts talking crazy talk, and he says, listen, I I enjoy, or for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and in persecutions. And I think to myself, Paul, are you, are you doing something right now? Because this doesn't make sense. And here's what he comes back to. Because I know when those things are going on, your strength will come through. 
your strength will come through. I sat in my office this past week and I thought to myself, because I read an article about suffering in ministry and I was thinking about this sermon and I thought to myself, how many sermons have I exactly preached? And I I want to clarify this sermon illustration with this. This is not to point your eyes towards me. This is to just think about something. And as I began to figure it out, I took 52 times the amount of years I've been in ministry, preaching every Sunday, blah, 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 blah. took vacations here and there and there. I came up with about 800 sermons in my very limited time in ministry. I can't remember once. Now, next week I'm probably going to call off sick after saying this. I can't remember once missing a sermon because I was sick. Ever. I might have. And it might have been one. But here's the reason I bring that up. I have it underlined here in my sermon notes. I don't always feel like preaching. But here's what I found out. It's when I have the least to bring when I'm exhausted, when I'm physically depleted, when I'm discouraged about something, that's when God's power works. God will never give you more than you can handle. It's a statement that will bring you to the fact that you need to handle it. But you see, here's the problem. From teenagers to senior saints to the people in between, you were created to need Him. You weren't created to handle it. You were created to need Him. From college students to senior saints, to 30-somethings, to 40-somethings, you were created to need Him. The world will teach you something different. The world will tell if you get the right education, you can do it without Adam. I'm here to tell you, you can have all the right education, and without Him, you will not do it. You will not do it. We have to be broken before Him. We have to understand that His power is made perfect in our weakness. And that's why when someone approaches me about being a leader in our church or being leading this ministry and they say to me, you know, I'm just about ready to pull my hair out. I'm just about ready to... I'm frustrated. I'm, I'm, I'm discouraged. I sometimes think in my head, I don't ever say this because it's kind of rude to say... But I think in my head, good. That's not good because I don't care that you're pulling your hair out. It's good because what he's doing is calling you to him. 
And he's saying, you're right. You better not handle this on your own strength. You better not handle this in your own way. And in Romans 8.26 it says, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. According to His purpose. Now I want you to understand something. I want you to grasp what's being said here. Please see what Paul is saying in the book of Romans in chapter 8. We write this on, on, on Christmas cards, not on Christmas cards, but on, on cards to encourage people. Please be careful where you write this because this is another Scripture passage that can be taken out. Notice what it says. He, um, let me make sure I get this right. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him. I've watched as people have wrote to people who do not love Him. God will work it out. It says it in Romans 8. No, it doesn't. What it says is for those who love Him, He will work it out. It doesn't say for those who do not love Him. For those who do not follow Him. It's a truth that is very clearly sometimes used and pulled out of pulled out of context because we want everybody to believe that God will do everything for everyone. He's this fairy godmother of a person. It's not always the truth. It says he will work it out for those who love him. And you say, well, how do I know if they love him or not? Well, he says, if you love me, what does he say in John? You will obey my commands. You will do what I taught you to do. You can't get much more clearer than that. And so this week, as I thought about this sermon series on our Facebook wall at Faith Church, I asked a quick question, and I only asked it on Faith Faith Church's wall because I wanted to kind of get people's opinion there. And I asked, when I bring up the word burden, what do you think of? I got great answers like chains and stones and bricks and cement blocks and feelings and loss and thoughts and all these different answers. And I'm not telling you who gave those answers. But I started to think about the burdens that we carry. I look at that prayer chain thing that we put in the sermon and in the bulletin every week, the prayer notes. You ever notice it doesn't really ever go down? We average about the same amount of prayer requests because when one goes off, the next one comes on. That tells me something. It tells me that there may be some that sit in this congregation that believe that God doesn't give them more than they handle, they can handle, and they're thinking to themselves, you're ridiculous if you're going to tell me that. So what I did was I put these stones down here in, in the front, and I put a, put a sharpie on the altar rails. Lots of them. And what I want to do is just kind of end this sermon in a not-so-traditional way. Kind of just want you to think about burdens that you're having. And if you have one that's like overwhelming and you're thinking to yourself, Pastor, I don't know if I can believe this. I don't know if I can, you know, I mean, he... He certainly has given me more than I can handle. And that's a good thing because now we know that what he means there is, is that you've got to trust in him. I want you to come up and just write something on your stone. 
draw a picture. Now let's not be artists here this morning. You've got to be done in a certain amount of time. But just draw a picture. Write a word. You know what mine is? I just finished it. I knew it before I started the sermon, so I cheated. It's adopt. It's my burden right now. I want Freddie and Serenity like nobody's business right now. If I could sign the papers tomorrow, I'd be in there signing them. And God keeps on telling me, I didn't give you more than you can handle. Well, there's some days I feel like it is. And some days he draws me back to him and he says, listen, I got this. And I may not answer the way you want me to answer. Are you going to praise me in the storm? Are you going to give me the credit, even if I don't answer the way you want me to? And so maybe you have one here. Maybe you have a burden, and I just want you to come as this video plays in just a second. It's Praise You in the Storm by Casting Crowns. I couldn't think of a better song. And all I want you to do is in these black buckets up here, there is, there is stones like this one. You just pick a stone up, grab a marker off the auto rail, and you just write a word. If you have to wait for markers, that's great and wonderful. Just wait for a marker. But grab a, write a word, draw a picture, put a line on there or something that you're just saying to God, listen, God, I've got overwhelming burdens that I know and I hear what pastor's saying, but I just need to trust in you. And so what you're going to do then after you're done putting these done, you're going to put them in the metal buckets that are in the middle of the auto rail. You're just going to drop a stone in there. And that's going to represent leaving it at the altar rail. Leaving the burden. Leaving the storm. Saying, here it is, God. As much as I want to carry it around, I've got to give it to you, and here it is. So I want you to think about doing that as the video plays it. down and wiped our tears away stepped in and saved the day but once again I say amen and it's still raining but as the thunder rolls I barely hear you whisper through the rain I'm God who gives and takes away.
Father, we thank you, Lord. Thank you for the chinging of the bucket today. Thank you for the burdens that have been moved from one bucket to another. Thank you for allowing us to see your power at work. Lord, thank you for loving us enough to giving, forgiving us more than we can handle. I know it's hard to accept sometimes, but Lord, it is true. I thank you, Lord, for your love for us. And for the fact that you continue to work through this community of believers here at Faith Church. No one comes to the cross at a different location. We are all on the same ground, just trying to live for you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would encourage those who are going through burdens that are represented here in these stones. Encourage us to continue to walk with you. To not give up, but to serve you with all of our hearts, souls, and minds. For, Lord, it's in your name we pray this all. Amen.
to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen.